The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on. We're doing the full 15 and 60 this time. I want to remind everyone to tune in for the Twitter NBA show tomorrow. Special edition on Monday at 8 Eastern and 5 Pacific. Cavs Warriors 2 this season at Martin Luther King Day special. And then also hoping to have a, a pretty special guest tomorrow as a first timer on the show. You'll uh, So check your feed for that tomorrow night. But now we've got to get into the 15 and 60. We're sponsored today by a new sponsor, Hymns which I will tell you about hymns.com slash cap space providing medical grade solutions for men's health issues from the comfort of your home all right let's get started with uh, Liam's team this week an interesting one I, I was excited to assign the Minnesota Timberwolves to Liam since they are surging they're a bit of the team du jour what we got for these guys Liam? sure so Minnesota Timberwolves so far they're five and two since the last 15 and 60 29 and 16 overall they're fifth in net rating fourth and offensively and defensively they're 20th which is way better than they've been uh at the start of the year and we'll get into that but first i wanted to talk a little bit about how they perform with teague out he i think he had a um, knee sprain it was a small one so he only missed seven games but in those games that he was out they were you know plus 11 net rating overall and the defense was much better tyus jones specifically had a plus 24 net rating basically uh, the offense was 113 and the defense was down near 90 and just on the season the, the starting lineup you know uh, has been much better with Jones in rather than Teague with in 480 possessions with Jones in with the rest of the starters they have a 30 net rating which seems almost impossible and they're, they're very good with Teague too they have a 7.3 net rating but I just wanted to get your guys thoughts on whether they should you know look into you know playing Jones a little bit more with the starters whether it's it, does, it doesn't necessarily need to be Jones into the starting lineup but maybe like pulling Teague a little bit earlier so Jones can get some run with the starters and Teague can play with second units I just wanted to get your guys thoughts on you know that that idea given the contract status it certainly would be difficult to bring Teague off the bench but uh, I do agree that Jones's fit is a little better I think he provides something that they really don't have at all which is forcing turnovers he's a great steals guy and it doesn't quite have the experience of Teague Teague's got a little bit more strength but both of them are kind of vulnerable uh, to bigger players uh, if they they decide to, to go right at him but no I, I like what Jones brings I think from a spot-up perspective they both are pretty effective um I think Jones might bring them a little bit more pace in transition but the greater issue is one that I think you're about to highlight which is he could really help on the second unit uh that uh right and i I think it has to do a lot with just coming into the year this team had so many guys that had a high usage rate that would get we're gonna have to adjust and if you look at how those usage rates are panning out i think towns is fourth on the team so you definitely want to get him more looks and jamal crawford has an incredibly high usage off the off the bench so looking at some of the numbers when when teague's on the floor without butler in the game his usage rate jumps up 
significantly. So I, I think, you know, Teague's a relatively efficient player, but he, he's more efficient than Crawford. So it would be useful for those second units for him to soak up some of those possessions um, and also lower Crawford's usage and, you know, maybe make him more efficient with asking him to do less and then also better distribute some of the shots of the starting lineup. Something that I'd like to keep an eye on with that, I, I think that the way you do it is you don't pull Teague as the starter because of all the complex emotional stuff. But if you say, hey, we need you on the second unit, those units have been hemorrhaging points, you can be a, play a bigger part there. And so do the idea that I've had for with DeMarcus Cousins for a long time of start but you start and finish but you play a lot with second unit I think that's just where they have to be for right now and one thing to watch is that it hasn't been a big sample size only about 360 possessions but they have hemorrhaged points when those two guys have played together Teague and Crawford defensively they have about a 120 defensive rating during those minutes but you can get to some lineups that I think can be at least a little better yeah and I wouldn't mind them just playing Jones more and Crawford fewer minutes um let's get to the thing that everyone is really excited about which is this team defense numerically they seem to have turned the corner a little bit with the seventh best defensive rating in the nba over the last 15 games and with how good their offense has been i mean i think we haven't talked enough probably about how their offense has really exceeded expectations perhaps this year even with some of the spacing issues that they have but liam what's up with this defense is it for real well i think they've certainly improved not that it's a good defense anymore but i think they're definitely turning in the corner to average which is you know a huge step up from where they were in the beginning of the year and I think some some of the differences over the last uh, you referenced the defensive rating over the last 15 games uh, there's been you know a couple of smaller changes and just guys in, improving incrementally a, a big change that's really helped them out is Shabazz Muhammad has fallen completely out of the rotation and th- those aren't a ton of minutes but in the minutes he was it in he was getting killed defensively with a 123 defensive rating with him on the court so that'll definitely help their second units and just guys overall are just playing a little bit better I think the time without Teague definitely helped with Jones on the floor. I think he's a very strong defensive player. He He's great at getting in a stance, sliding with his man. He gets through screens really well, and he's got a really good motor, tremendous hands. You mentioned before he's got a huge steal rate. So I think he, he's actually a very good defensive guard, and, and Teague's also improved over the last couple games that I watched. I thought he was better. Not that he's not still a liability because he does get beat on some switches in the post and stuff like that, but if he can just get to you know more passable than he has been in the past, that's a big difference. And Towns, although obviously he still has some, you know, miscues and, you know, blown assignments here and there, I think he's been a little bit more consistent as far as not being just a total sieve. And he did pretty good on some switches against some guys in the games I saw against McCollum, against Paul George, and a little better rim protection. And, and again, he still has, you know, a couple plays throughout the game where he'll blow it and he'll be way out of position. And you'll be asking yourself what the hell he was doing on that play. But th- those plays are a lot fewer than they were earlier in the year, especially I think uh, the Sixers game in December he he got absolutely torched by them so if if he can just get you know a little better each game I think that's huge and, and another thing is they, they've been incorporating a lot oh sure well let, let me let me hit on Towns what you said there first you know I, I saw their game against the Blazers tonight I thought he did have some pretty nice plays where you know plays like switching out hard on a dribble handoff late in the clock he did another play where they're in rotation and he managed to stop a layup from Damian Lillard who was open under the basket he rotated over there hard and 
enforce a shot clock violation on that play so we are seeing more plays that have been some effort from him he still jogs back in transition i think too frequently although they are at least cleaning up some of the worst parts of that transition defense um and i thought it was interesting listening to zach lowe's podcast with jim peterson over the weekend jim saying essentially that you know they what they told him was hey you're not giving enough effort just go jump at everything like help over help all the time we want you to just be more active and we feel like once you get into that kind of a mode and teach yourself like all right i have to be active throughout a possession yeah you might be over helping but at least now it's easier to kind of calm that down as opposed to hey you know you're not even trying on these possessions and so it seems like you know carl it, it was a surprise that he was so bad defensively both because of his tools and the fact that he you know really wants to win he's a cerebral kind of guy off the floor uh, and so you know that's part of i think the improvement that we see now is it going to last uh, in the long term uh, we'll have to see about that but he does does have fewer plays where he just kind of stands there flat-footed or like barely jumps and swipes at the ball which we had seen where he's not in a stance which we had seen so much of uh, over the past you know year and a half right and I I definitely agree with that in in the three games I saw I I didn't see nearly I I can't think of any you know effort plays that he really blew off the top of my head they're most mostly like awareness based which he struggles in but I mean the only thing you could point to is the defensive rebounding over the last couple games was bad but they were playing against some really good offensive rebounding teams and Oklahoma City and the Knicks and Portland so I I definitely think he's improving in that area and and another point I wanted to touch on is that I think it's to be expected that they'd struggle a little bit coming into the year just with the lack of continuity I think four of their six guys and minutes played are with on their first year with the team so I I think they're starting to gel in together and understand the rotations better and just a little more trust on defense and that's definitely paying off yeah so so what else have you seen outside of towns and by the way you had this note in here thank you for not mentioning it after I said that oh they need to uh Jones because they don't get that many seals they actually uh, surprisingly enough you wouldn't think so other than Butler but Teague actually is a pretty good steals guy Gorgie Jang actually is a pretty good steals guy as it turns out Wiggins is you know he's okay he's not terrible uh so they actually are one of the better steals teams in the league so I apologize for impugning them in that respect but uh, other than Towns uh, what else has stood out to you about them? well like you said they're doing a good job of uh generating turnovers and then also also on top of that they're not fouling a ton which you'd think a, a defense generating that many turnovers would be a little over aggressive but they're finding a good balance between the two and it what's interesting is I think they're taking more game it's a very aggressive defensive style they're playing so they like to ice those side pick and rolls oh go ahead yeah in contrast to you know Thibodeau's right initial and reputation. well I, I, he still has some of his you know similar principles I think they're they still ice you know side ball screens and stuff like that but the the weak side wing that's stunting at that big when he pick and pops and the uh, yes that t, yes, t got you know, several yeah. steals just going all out rather than just you know most defenses just stun at him he just went for the pass altogether and, and they've got a couple other guys that are pretty good at just reading the floor Ch- jones we mentioned earlier butler is really good at just zoning up on the weak side and reading passing lanes so that that is something i agree with you that i didn't expect to see going in but they've done a great job at that and I, I i think you know oh i want to mention there was one beautiful weak side steal that jimmy butler had in the game today where it was like i didn't even uh, it was it wasn't an obvious pass like those are the ones that you see guys get and he just kind of had a read on it and got a hand on it he didn't even get that clean and then just sprinted down the floor somebody passed him the ball and he got a steal and those sort of plays and I wanted to ask kind of a memory question for you guys because 
as I was remembering it before I looked it up, I thought the Wolves early in the season were really genuinely awful in transition defense, like they were bottom five in the league. Right now they're 20th, and my memory is saying that's an improvement off of where they were, but I'm not totally sure I'm right. Yeah, it struck out to me just on film, as I mentioned, with Towns not getting back. I mean, he kind of does this like saunter back on defense. You rarely see him sprint the floor, and people are like, oh, you know, like he's a big center. I'm like, yeah, but have you ever seen him like how fast he moves when he like like cuts down the lane uh, on the pick and roll you know i mean like the guy can run when he has it in his head and obviously they're playing a ton of minutes and so i think you would have to point to that as another reason for their success as well as just that their good players play a lot more really than just about any other team um but yeah other than the the increased aggressiveness anything else that stands well, out i think to you just all, i try to Liam? dig into the numbers a little bit more and just I, I don't think you know this stretch has been that fluky defensively normally you get you know when a team has such a drastic improvement you'll see you know a weird opponent three-point percentage or free throw percentage and those are right around like league average so I, I think it's you know they're, I don't think they're top 10 in defense you know obviously but I, I think it, it's reasonable to expect this defensive improvement to you know somewhat say somewhat stable and I, I don't know where, where do you guys picture them finishing the year defensively yeah I don't think they're gonna be seventh the way they have been I think they'll end up you know maybe 12 or 13 that's probably in line with their personnel and so and with the way their offense has been playing that's all that they need so this is a team that we were critical of some of their moves in the offseason Taj Gibson not a guy who spaces the floor takes the occasional corner three but is really spaced out to there and teams you know are not too concerned about him then they'll go with Jang uh Bielita has been out but he's returned a little bit recently hasn't played as much yet uh so they don't really ever have a floor spacing four man Towns can space but you don't necessarily want him doing that all the time uh Wiggins and Butler not great spot up shooters Teague is is okay in, in that area uh Crawford is you know he's all right there so they don't really they don't have a guy that you look at as some awesome shooter that, that we just can't leave on the perimeter but nonetheless they basically just bludgeon their way to great results with power and with just the individual brilliance of these players right and I be think damned. um their, their shot profile hasn't been very good they take the third most mid-range shots in the NBA so their effective field goal precision isn't very good but the, the other three four factors you know turnovers offensive rebounds getting to the line they're very good at their top five in all those so that's definitely you know juice their offense up and despite not being a, a good three-point shooting team they're, they're terrible in you know frequency and you know three-point percentage off those shots they found a way to really be an effective offense and surprisingly fourth I certainly didn't expect them to be there and just to touch on their transition offense I think Danny mentioned them pushing more and that's something that I, I even the numbers like everybody says they need to push more and run more with their athleticism but the number the numbers definitely bear that out they're second in transition points per play but just 26th in transition and frequency and in the in the games I was watching I thought they did you know ran fast breaks really well and they've got Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague just flying up and down the court and they, they could be really good at that so that's something to take a look at for a way they can you know improve their offense you also noted that they shoot 68 percent at the room and that's remarkable considering how little spacing there is on the floor that they still have these great finishers who are able to do damage in the paint very accurately and you mentioned them being second in transition points per play well you're probably 
probably going to have if you're really getting out and running and getting layups that still is going to be more efficient than shooting like a trail three or or a wing three in transition those are still good shots better than you're going to get on average in the half court but those do probably lower your transition points per play as opposed to you know because when you're running you're basically getting layups and dunks or or you're getting threes and so since they don't really have that many guys who are going to jack threes in transition that's probably my hypothesis as to why that transition points per play is so high i'd agree with that and uh just one more note i wanted to make is uh taj gibson uh a guy i i didn't think that was the greatest signing coming into the year and he's by far exceeded expectations for this year with a career high true shooting percentage uh, 62% and he's shooting 74% at the rim and for a guy that I didn't think he was a very strong post-up threat in the games I watched he was really doing a great job when he got switched on to guards and just you know putting them in the basket he he powered through Paul George for a post-up and he, he's one of the few guys I think with, with the way the league's going for four men getting smaller it's it's valuable to have a power option that can really put guys under the hoop I think you've mentioned in the past that's just something that Derek Favors is really good at and Taj Gibson too yeah David West is another guy who does that a lot too where really when he's being guarded by a, sort of a combo forward on the other team or on a switch he's just like all right my first move is I'm going right through you and you are just get, gonna have to stop me and you're not gonna be able to both those guys have long arms and you know have maintained their athleticism pretty well considering their age so yeah and for the other thing for Gibson too I, when he was on the Bulls they would post him up and there were far fewer threats on that Bulls team later on you know when he that 13-14 season when I thought he should have won six man of the year he posted up a, a lot but I thought of him as a, an opportunity double back then because he is not a good passer and he kind of you know will bring the ball down and can get stripped but now because in theory he's really the least threatening offensive player in their starting five teams aren't doubling him I think they probably should more often frankly because I don't think he's gotten any better at passing out of the post but yeah like you mentioned especially on, on switches he can really just power through guys and they're so concerned about the other players that he's able to be effective there absolutely and to touch on that um you're right his passing hasn't really improved the same assist percentage you know turnover percentage about the same so I, I definitely agree that'd be a good idea for defenses to adopt that tactic because right now he's getting 1.16 points per possession on post up so that's you know the defense isn't winning by allowing him to get those opportunities and he's been smart in the way he's done it where he only really posts up when he has a big advantage so that's something that it's a it's a huge boon for their offense for Taj Gibson to be an offensive threat because it, it was tough envisioning him being that you know when he hadn't been a huge threat throughout his off throughout his career up until now so men's health is a field where frankly there's a lot of bullshit around i think probably like back in the day before there were good spam filters like 95 percent of spam emails had to deal with either hair loss or sexual function so there's just a, a lot of crap out there for men who are looking for real health solutions but now there's for him com which is a one-stop shop for hair loss skin care and sexual wellness for men it's actual real doctors real prescriptions and this is a product that for me in terms of hair loss appeals to me i actually started losing my hair when i was 25 i'm 37 now and so after doing some research which was kind of difficult at the time with all the crap that was out there i decided to start taking propecia because it works better to avoid losing your hair to begin with i was didn't want to be suffering from hair loss in my late 20s early 30s and 66 percent of men are in the same boat that start losing their hair by age 35 and i can tell you that it worked for me to use propecia is now available in a generic as 
a prophylactic to keep my hair. I really have not lost very much at all over the 12 years since I started taking it. But now it's much easier to do that. I had to go to the doctor and get a prescription and I'd have to go back every year and it was just a pain. And sometimes I'd go a few months without it because I didn't have time to get to the doctor just for that. But if you go to hymns at forhymns.com slash capspace, it is that URL as I did actually last month. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to wait in the waiting room. You don't have to pay an astronomical price at the pharmacy. Now I'm getting my Propecia for just $28 a month. So yeah, for $300 a year or so to not lose your hair, well worth it in my opinion. And some listeners might be wondering like, oh, like, you know, that's pretty personal. Like, why are you talking about this? And and I actually had a little bit of trepidation about taking him on as a sponsor, but I realized like I've made this recommendation to many of my friends that this worked for me and that they should try it when they started losing their hair and so i actually think that this is like a good product that can really help a lot of people and so i wasn't going to let my vanity of like you know i'm not embarrassed to say that i use this medication it's a smart idea i think you'd be stupid not to do it frankly when we all know what a difference it makes to have your hair versus not having your hair like that's just the reality of our society so once again the way to get started with hymns for hymns forhims.com slash capspace is the url forhims.com slash capspace and then it'll get you a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just five dollars while supplies last and you can find which of their products works for you whether it's a dht blocking shampoo the propecia generic equivalent that i use or any of their other products that's forhims.com slash capspace all right danny i will not ask you to share any uh, aspects of your health uh instead i will ask you to talk about the sacramento kings well, i guess you probably would actually rather share some some details of your no i wouldn't than uh, discuss the i'd kings. rather i'd rather discuss the kings the, <laughs> the the kings are 13 and 29 uh one in five since the last 1560 that one win was hosting the denver nuggets they are this is a rare triple so we should appreciate it for what it is they are 30th in net rating at negative 10.3 they are 30th in offense and they are 30th in defense and they said we'd never see another triple crown winner again didn't we see one of those i can't remember i don't care about horse racing oh uh, yeah it was like miguel Cabrera something like, like that five years ago. oh oh i thought you were talking about horses God. anyway um oh yeah yeah oh yeah i guess horses too horses horse racing is probably more interesting than baseball at least it, it lasts you know like one one hundredth as long so the kings i watched a bits and pieces of the, a couple of their recent games just because they're one of those teams that on the pacific you know pacific time zone that airs late and they've been playing a lot of games in california against the la teams in particular the last week and there were some encouraging developments. I thought they played the Clippers well, particularly in the game in Sacramento on Thursday, which was the day after their big win, the Clippers' big win over the Warriors, But and they got Blake Griffin back. Anyway, the, I thought the Kings played well in that game, and the, one of the big changes that they deserve credit for is that they really slowed down Lou Williams he had like 21 points in the first half and then they just they put Garrett Temple on him for periods of time I thought Garrett Temple did a nice job I think George Hill was on him a little bit and they slowed him down and that game ended in total Kings fashion where they actually got so they were they were down two and they actually forced the turnover on the trap it was great that they did it they forced the turnover and then Costa Kufos bless his heart he thought he was just making the easy pass to the point guard to get the ball up for the potential game tying possession 
and I believe it was Jameel Wilson, might have been Tyrone Wallace, just ran right in there, got the ball, and dunked it before any of the Kings could get back. Yeah. And it was just... Must have been Wallace because Wilson wasn't on the team. Oh, that's right. That yeah, point. so it was it was Tyrone Wallace. And yeah, and so, you, so you're just sitting there going, oh, like, like that, that's the Kings. You know, like when they do things right, and they have done some things right during this stretch, it still just gets pulled away from them at the last second. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing for them long term. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's it's better to, in this, the way the league climate is right now, to, if you're going to be bad, to just fall all the way down. But, you know, I like seeing those moments with this team when they actually defend well. The Kali Steins had some nice games recently. And the other big development has been, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich has had a, an underrated year for them. Yeah, they have uh, been going to him a, a little bit more. And he's proven to be a more adept pick and roll player than perhaps you would have thought for just like this white European shooter guy 1.1 points per possession going to the jump shot out of pick and roll and the pick and roll comprises 31 percent of his possessions he's also at 38 percent on threes which you know not a crazy percentage but certainly good enough to need to be guarded out there we've seen a lot of Europeans struggle with the deeper NBA three at least in their first year and also very encouraging to see his finishing around the rim doesn't get there a ton but when he does he is able to get his shot up and not get it blocked shooting 65 percent at the rim which is outstanding for a two guard and really shooting well from just about every area particularly the mid-range and a lot of this is uh, those jumpers out of pick and roll this is an unsustainable amount but he's 47 out of 89 which is 53 percent on twos outside the paint which is pretty solid and then he's taking almost all of his three pointers from above the break which makes that 38 percent look a little bit better only taking 16 three pointers from the corners all year he is mostly operating up there and then he also has been coming off some screens away from the ball he's not like the quickest release guy in the world he doesn't have like that quick hop to catch the ball quickly and elevate it over the defense he's more like a one-two guy when he catches the ball but he has shown some pretty good footwork like if he gets a a screen that he can flare behind he can catch it and step back behind the three-point line he's capable of making jump shots with his momentum going away from the hoop which is always a a big skill for him so definitely a guy i think that might even be their best offensive player at this point uh, zach randolph has been pretty good for them as well but he's right up there and a guy who i think deserved more reps now you'll recall that bogdanovich signed a three-year 27 million dollar contract this year as a under i guess we can call it the miritich rule where after it's been three years since you were drafted as a first-round pick you're no longer subject to the rookie scale they use cap space on him what do you think of that deal now danny great job by the kings to front load that deal especially considering they're they're having cap space that they're leaving out there right now so that it's 9.5 this year then nine then about eight and a half in the last year i would say that's a little a little rich for it because that's like a, a, a good bench player i think is a good calibrator for that because 13 14 is about what i think of for starters so it's a, a step down from that he is 25 so he'll adjust a year of improvement just adjusting to the system will help and then the other big thing that you have why i think his contract is is closer to reasonable i'd say it's a slight negative but a very slight one is because then you have his restricted rights at the end of that and yes the qualifying offer will be high because the base salary is high but 
he that will be the rest of his prime in all likelihood if he was good enough to get an offer sheet. And so I think the idea of writer first refusal there will also compress his value. I think that's a good thing for the Kings, and it's not like they're scratching every penny. I mean, they always it's always sometimes a challenge for them to spend every dollar they have. They have four and a half million sitting out there right now. So I'm pretty good with it. Uh, last bit of Kings news here: Mike Bratz, uh, their longtime scout and assistant GM, uh, he and the organization agreed to part right ways in the last week. Bratz actually, I believe, predated even Pete D'Alessandro's regime back in 2013. And, you know, just kind of a, a pure scout kind of guy. And for whatever reason, the team decided to, to move on from him. Maybe he did not see eye to eye with ken catanella and brandon williams who uh, both came in in recent years it seemed like bringing in two other assistant gms brett was also at the rank of assistant gm they also got pages stoyakovich who's kind of a right hand man for vlade tivat so it seems like there just wasn't as much of a place for brats in this new front office. i think we're ready to move on to memphis the grizzlies are 13 and 28 one and three they haven't had a heavy schedule since last 15 and 60 negative 3.6 net rating puts them 25th they are 26th in offense 19 19th in defense and they're not going to make the playoffs i think the question that you posed which i thought was a very interesting one by the way can we stop real quick here so they have basically the same records as as the kings and they're the 25th offense or or the 26th offense the 19th defense and the kings have just gotten so lucky like they would be on track to be one of the worst teams of all time right now like they should be and when you consider like the amount of money that was spent on guys like veterans to come in and actually help this is why the whole thing about like the process in Philly made sense because the Kings could be churning through other roster spots and like those vets that they got aren't making them any better like they're one of the worst teams of all well, time and they're, the 30th offense and 30th and they're not tradable ridiculously like bad. George Hill George right. Hill's doing a little bit better I had totally lost track this is one of the things watching their games that at one point he was I think he was first in three-point shooting percentage for the season he has now dropped because he missed a couple but he's at 44 percent on the year but he's still not a big positive contributor a lot of money next year than that very light guarantee for the final year Zebo's making a ton of money. Vince Carter, you know, maybe somebody be interested just because he's one of the few expiring contracts. I don't know what Vince Carter wants, but that's another challenge here is that they, it's not just that they filled up roster spots with vets, it's that they don't really have any other option now that they've committed. All right, so this has been a great uh, section on the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's move on. Uh, all right, now I guess we have to do the, the Grizzlies. Uh, and I guess we'll try and be positive about the 13 and 28 Grizzlies. Um, to just see, is there a silver lining of this Memphis season? things that actually have gotten better that give some modicum of hope for the future i think i think actually there are a lot of like the bright line of this should be a silver lining and what that is is memphis was always going to need a talent infusion in order to make the next step and generally speaking that happens through the draft sometimes with free agency sometimes through other things really good trades it has happened before and with mike conley and and marcus on long-term contracts the expectation was it was going to take a long time for the Grizzlies to get that kind of a game-changing talent it is possible more possible this year than I thought it was going to be in the next three that they can get that person and that's the centerpiece of the next great Memphis team is whoever if they can hit on that pick if they can get it and 
they're getting that opportunity without fracturing the locker room without any of this stuff just because they had a lot of bad luck yeah i I mean what is a lot of bad luck though is it just i mean have they had any real injury problems calmly then other than yeah but that's i mean you know that was i guess it's tough for me to say it's bad luck when injury problems that you knew about when they signed the contract then came to actually be an issue you know parsons as well now certainly parsons has been at the lower end in terms of playing it and once again parsons is you know hasn't been playing it at all no real timetable for a return it said that he doesn't have structural damage in his knee but you know still is not playing he's day-to-day and has some swelling and soreness in his knee and it just seems like that's going to go on forever surgery required or not um so they've been on the low end of that but when you look at conley everyone knew about his achilles issue when they signed the contract and they didn't have much choice obviously they wanted to just stay good they couldn't bite the bullet but i mean this is going to be one of those things where it's like oh yeah you know we can't rebuild in this market you know we have to stay relevant well you know what like if the lesson has got to be here hey if you feel like there's some pressure to rebuild it's probably because you're not really any good and you're gonna have to rebuild sooner or later so you might as well get something but in any event yeah i mean back to the, the silver linings i uh, turn to the negative here uh you know to get dylan brooks uh, as a starter out, out of a second round pick has been solid for them i mean he's not a long-term part of this team but tyree gevin certainly has been an absolute revelation i mean i mean they should at least get a second rounder for him if not perhaps more than that but with the fact that they are unwilling to move any of their top two guys who are getting older and that they don't have a ton of financial flexibility you know the creativity to include someone like evans in a trade is be limited it is and they are going to have to figure out a lot of a lot of pieces on this roster i mean they have so many spots committed to big men that look more like backups rotation players if that but they'll have to figure that out and and they can they have the ability to do that i mean it's it's not oh no if you if Jarrell martin isn't the guy they can cut him it's not that big a deal if that's the way this goes and they'll have opportunities for guys i think i think that's you know especially if you're on the wing and you're a guy who wants to make good contract if especially if they don't bring back james ennis that's a pretty good place to be if if money if you can't get more money somewhere else and there isn't going to be much money to go around as we've talked about many times before yeah actually maybe i'm being a little harsh on them in terms of their injury issues because ben mclemore had that broken foot who knows maybe you just wouldn't have been any good anyway uh but obviously missing the first two months of the season didn't help there and then wayne selden basically hasn't played at all either he was supposed to be their starting two guards so not a, a, a guy who is considered to be like that much of a stalwart for him but certainly someone who could have been in the rotation towards the bottom of the roster we mentioned kobe simmons last time he had that really nice game against the warriors he then played 21 minutes against the kings the, the following night in a blowout win in sacramento and then played two and eight minutes the next few nights and then was sent back down to the g league and then uh ivan rab their second round pick pretty high second round pick has barely played at all in the nba but he's been solid enough in the g league uh 23 pr 61 percent true shooting has rebounded quite well and actually is even five of ten on three-pointers small sample size but eight you know i mean making five out of ten three-pointers for basically anyone who's a, a big and learning how to shoot threes is uh at least a, a reasonable proposition uh anything else on them or shall we move on let's go to the dallas mavericks the mavericks are 15 and 29 two and four since last 15 16 including an overtime loss to the lakers over the weekend they are 21st in net rating at negative 1.5 16th in offense 16th in defense which is still surprising to me and to so this is going to be one of the more off the wait so they are 16th in offense and 16th in defense and they're 15 and 20 i am now yes they are and do you want to know why let's hear it they are 7 and 22 in in games that are decided within five points in the last five minutes they have a negative 28.2 
clutch net rating. And this leads to what, again, like we make a lot of predictions and prognostications and people point to them and be like, oh, like you said this thing and it was stupid. This is one of my ideas. I think that Dallas could be the surprise team of next season, not because they'll like make the top five or something crazy like that. Just if they go from being beyond awful in crunch time to being passable, because the other parts of this team are good. They can, they offensively, they generally have a, get into a good rhythm. I really like the second unit theory. That's not going to change at all. And their talent level, I think is going to increase in future years, just because they're going to add more draft picks. They're going to have a lot of cap space this coming year. And so that's my kind of like file it away. Like, the idea that they could be the six, seven, or eight seed next year is not implausible at all. To me. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about their clutch struggles. They have a rookie point guard, obviously. They also have a, a player in Dirk Nowitzki who basically can't really be out there in crunch time because he just gets targeted really mercilessly. If he's out there just in the flow of the game and you've got some backups out there and you're just you're running your offense, but at the end of games, teams are just like, oh, here's a scab, let's pick at it. And Dirk certainly qualifies at that point. So, but he still really helps their offense and so if you don't have him out there offensively you're going to struggle on offense and then on defense if you have him out there you're not going to be able to stop anyone or you know you just have to not play him in crunch time which is more of what uh, Carlisle has been doing of late uh, so you mentioned the theory of their second unit and the two point guards together a lot of times it's Yogi Ferrell and JJ Barea sometimes Barea and Harris sometimes they'll even have Harris playing it at the three uh, Barea and Harris have been doing this forever this where Barea will dribble down the right side it's the same thing that Steve Nash and Leandro Barbosa used to do all the time where they'll fake like a pistol action where they hand off to the two coming out of the corner and instead it'll just go back to her and they get like one layup off that per game those guys are, have a great chemistry on that play uh but another part of that unit now fulfilling a role that we've seen a lot of kind of undersized jumping jack type players be successful in as a small ball center has been Dwight Powell and Powell really has broken out that was a contract that we were quite critical of and I think in terms of you know certainly the Dallas system really helps someone like that look good i mean we've seen a lot of guys both the small guards and you know the uh rim running center have a ton of success with that second unit but nonetheless Powell has come through uh despite that four-year 37 million dollar contract probably still being a little bit of an overpay just because when you think of you could probably replace him for a lot less and i'm not sure if on another team he could be as successful but he is a 5.7 net rating which is up from negative 7.2 last year uh they are plus 11.4 points for 100 better when he is on the floor he plays 94 percent of his minutes at center played about 80 percent or so last year so the idea of him as a stretch four it really has kind of been abandoned um and with him at center they have a 110 offensive rating which is like nearly best in the league type of levels the team also shoots 65 percent at the rim with him out there again he's very good at rolling to the rim they have a lot of shooting and ball handling around him and it's not really a lot of times you say oh 110 offensive rating but when he's out there that's second unit they only shoot uh 35 from three so it's not really based on just unsustainable three-point shooting um one thing I, you harp on this a lot i think this is the case as well i mean if you look at the unit they're playing with a lot of times two point guards powell uh, an athletic rim running center they still never get out and transition at all even when he's out there and so uh really though it, it seems like his role offensively has been primarily just finishing around the basket with that good spacing that rick carlo's offense that's also why i think 
think he's still an overpay. He's in the perfect situation. And I think if yeah. you put him... If he gave you a little more defensively, sure. I don't think that would be sure. the case. But if he gave you a little bit more defensively, he might not be a, a, a good second unit center. He might be more of like a, a low-end starting center. Yeah, and, and he's certainly undersized at the center. Right, and, and also the idea that he is a wonderful pick-and-roll finisher. This is the part that is so Brandon Wrighty about him. But he has not ever really developed the pick-and-pop, which would open up even more with, not necessarily with their second unit, but more if he were ever could use that to help become a starter. It could open things up for them. And and he hasn't really done that at all to this point. He's great at what he does, and he's not great at what he doesn't do. And Rick Carlisle is so great at maximizing guys with his specific skill set. And that's part of why it was so surprising that they paid him as much as they did. But they use him really well, and so that's okay. Yeah, the spot-up jumper is coming along, although he doesn't take that many of those. And, and also, as we mentioned, doesn't really space out that much. But maybe that would indicate that he might be able to shoot three ball in pick and pop. But again, they have plenty of other guys who can shoot out there with him they need him to put pressure on the rim by rolling and, and he's uh, getting a nice chemistry too with his mobility I think that's something that especially as defenses have started getting a little bit more aggressive now uh, against ball handlers who can shoot the three you'll see the center get up with it you know what Dylan Murphy has talked about it on the show is an aggressive drop where you get up pretty close to the level of the ball and then once your guy is recovered enough that there isn't a three-point shot available you back up very quickly to get back to your men and Instead of, still, instead of staying there until a pass is forced but what Paul can do with his mobility is come over there and then as soon as his guy gets up to the level of the screen he can roll right to the rim and you can either uh short the pick and roll in those situations where you throw it to someone else and then throw the lob to him or he can roll into space or he can even just fake setting the screen and just slip it uh, before the contact even occurs and beat his man getting into space at the free throw line as well and, and he's shown some decent ability to make a decision and not just be you know a Serge Ibaka type of liability on those plays in the four on three at the free throw line anything else you want to talk about with them or do you want to move on let's do it the Los Angeles Lakers 15 and 27 four and two since the last 15 and 60 negative three net rating puts them 24th they're 29th in offense 10th in defense and a stat that I pulled I'm not sure if this was before or after that Mavs game was at the oh yeah it was when they had a 106.6 defense rating so they've actually improved a little bit since then they could have an even net rating with the NBA's 17th offense and so that gives you an idea I mean I've said before when they were like sixth in defense that I thought that was a little bit overstated but the idea being that it takes a long way to get from 29th to to 17th but if they could keep that defense going they could you know you can get to a, a pretty solid place with that and the big question with them is not the shot distribution the shot distribution is okay they're getting 42 percent of their shots at the rim that's very good B- pretty even split between mid-rangers and threes the problem is that they cannot shoot and so the question that I kind of wanted to ask you was how much of that is players that are going to be replaced and how much of that is guys that are sticking around because how you approach those two things are very very different yeah and Kuzma has fallen off a a little bit too he's only shooting 26% on threes uh, over his last 10 games he's kind of calming down a little bit I think he's at like 37% now from uh, for the season if he's someone who's really was he is he going to be the starter no well okay you know especially with his defense limitations he actually is getting a block and steal here and there now which he hadn't at all early in the season Ingram is a big one too I mean you've pointed out Danny that it's just he's actually shooting an okay percentage from threes but just you know that's because he's only really taking wide open ones now he's not taking the ones off the dribble teams are able to go under on him at this point and so if he's going to play the three in a lot of these lineups then yeah I think you may have problems because 
Alonzo, you know, just the versatility of his jumper. I, I He's a long way away from getting to be a huge threat shooting the ball. Their fours, yeah, I guess Kuzma is, is a decent shooter, but uh, they, and we thought that Brooke Lopez could really be someone who would help them with his spacing. He has not hit the three ball that much and has not been spacing out as much, I think, as he did in Brooklyn, but he's not going to be there either. So, I mean, so who, who are we saying as part of their cast here? Ingram, Lonzo, and I would take I would Kuzma. take Kuzma. Those are probably the only well, three and, guys. And what's, Those are the three guys. And what's surprising with Kuzma, he's such a talented scorer, is that he's his true shooting percentage is at 558 right now. And you yeah, think he's, he's fallen, fallen off. off. And I think he can be better than he has been the last little while. But the idea of, uh, I, and I love his footwork, there, there are some really nice building blocks with Kuzma that I do really like. But so you kind of think about, well, where does he fit in the option tree? And also something that a lot of those guys, except for Ingram, could use is getting to the line more. I think that's another way that the Lakers sure. could get. But you kind of need some spacing in order to, to get that separation because you've run into a crowd. It's harder sometimes to get the call. And yeah, and they don't have the type of offensive players and finishers that a team like the Wolves do, do where if you just keep banging your head against the wall to try to get to the rim, it, it works. And the Wolves are, you know, as you mentioned, get to the foul line and this Lakers team really it does not particularly. Kuzma is another guy. I mean, he's averaging 1.6 free throw attempts per game over his last 10 games. Yeah, I mean, and so for true shooting, even if you want to use 60, like as, as the kind of barometer for, I don't even know if you'd call that good. What, what, what would you describe as 60? Well, so league average right now is 55, 56. 60 is still okay, awesome. So, I mean, the, the, yeah, because the Warriors in 2016 set like the all-time record. I mean, and granted, we've been in a higher offense era here, but the all-time record for team true shooting was 59% as recently as two years ago. So, I mean, even for this team, if they can even get up to, you know, 54, 55% as a team, that would be a massive victory. But I mean, they've just got a lot of guys who are extremely inefficient on this team right now. And I guess just, I like the way you framed that question because if you're going to play Lonzo and Ingram out there in your current states, you're just not going to have a good shooting team. I mean, you would have to have, you know, playing like Channing Fry at center or something really to balance that out. I mean, you're one in your three man. If you're going to play Ingram at the four and you, but they don't have anyone else, obviously, who can shoot at the two and the three right now. KCP's having a really disappointing season from downtown as well, uh, although I still maintain that he's been excellent defensively. Uh, you know, so they really need, and it's been talked about, they really need some shooting right now. So I think that's the problem. But one of those two guys, either Ball or Ingram, is going to have to be a consistent and higher volume three-point shooter, I think, for this offense to really get to where it needs to go. And then even if they were to get, say, like a LeBron or a Paul George or a DeMarcus, Ingram and Lonzo has got to improve their shooting if those, if in fact those guys are still going to be around. I'm sure some Laker fans will point to Lonzo has been shooting a lot better, and this is true, over the last month or so. And I will say that's true. And as we as that becomes if that becomes a larger part of the sample oh you mean he's not the worst <laughs> shooter of all time yeah anymore? i think he's at like something like 36 percent over the last month but yeah. the the caution that and this this is something that comes up in a couple places for me always with then this goes with enthusiasm and also with negativity is unless there is a reason to believe that a portion of the sample is incorrect and so an example i've used here is when nicola batum had that elbow thing that he played through and so you go okay he's not if they fix that he's not going to have that anymore like that sort of an issue or markel fultz hopefully with his shoulder oh man yeah the news on that is not it, it hasn't we'll talk about that at some point but not not tonight not today but so outside of that you have to think that the whole sample matters and the whole sample counts and so yes as we get to the point where if lonzo keeps shooting well then that will be better but now you can't throw away the part that was really bad with like oh he's more confident 
president now. Like something like that. It needs to be something structural and something real. And he can prove it. He has a lifetime to to prove that he can be a reliable shooter and you never set any prognostications yeah. in stone. Maybe he'll come around by by age 50 or so. <laughs> but but it's like but but and I'm not I don't I don't want to shit on Lonzo that badly because I, I mean you you've made the point here that really like everyone else seems to run a lot better when right. he's I out mean, there. So I, can I give the Ingram stats? His own offense yeah, is so Okay, yeah, so this yeah. is I I had this idea with with Ingram and actually I don't think we're going to talk about this with McCaw. I have an overarching theory with Patrick McCaw. But Brandon Ingram, he so what what happens with him is he actually has a higher usage rate when he's playing with Lonzo than without Lonzo and his efficiency skyrockets as well because Lonzo is a really good passer. He can get him in better places to succeed. And also when you look at the shot distribution that Ingram has, he takes a lot more shots in the restricted area, which of course are good. And he takes them out of mid range where he's not good. And so you're, so you're getting into those elements. He's getting the ball in places where he can succeed. And theoretically the Lakers will be when they have superior talent, they will be in a position to better maximize what he can do. So that is encouraging and Alonzo can help make those guys better, but they are going to need talent infusions and all that other kind of stuff as well. Where are we going next? A team that I think a lot of people would be surprised we haven't done yet because they have a couple extra wins, the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are 16 and 28. Yeah. Well, well their loss at home to the Pacers oh. today actually counts for three. Losses. Oh my God. I, I So that was the only game on for a while. And I, I watched the whole first half and was just sitting there going, oh, like this is, it was rough, but they've had some better games. They, so they're, six, they're 16 and 28, two and four since last one of these we did. 29th in net rating, negative seven. 27th in offense, 28th in defense. Yeah. Again, that's a horrible team that is getting really lucky right now. 27th and 28th in offense and defense. Again, caveats aside that, of course, you know, those Watson stats in the first three games are still impacting the sample. I mean, so beyond a, a little quick note that Alex Len is 10th in offensive rebound rate, which is good for him. He's almost 14%. That's that's nice. And that can be a, a calling card for him, especially if he ends up being a second unit center in Phoenix or elsewhere. The big place that we want to go with this one is catching up with everyone's favorite 70 point scorer, Devin Booker. Yeah. And many people, of course, the Booker stands out there. The Phoenix fans who insist that their players are awesome, especially since they haven't made the playoffs since 2010. Uh, but a lot of people saying, hey, Booker is so much better. How can you rate him so low in the prospects? And, you know, it should be noted that he's made some strides this year, to be sure. Number one there is his three-point percentage, nearly at 40% now, shooting 36% on pull-up threes, which is not a terrible percentage considering the difficulty of a lot of his attempts. I mean, that's he takes more pull-up threes than he does catch-and-shoot threes, and he's at 44% on the catch-and-shoots. And then the other thing is, overall, 0.93 points per possession on jumpers off the dribble most of that's in the half court so that's not a bad number really where he's buttering his bread at, at this point and he's at 46 percent uh, from mid-range right now and a 58 percent true shooting which is solidly above league average uh and that 46 percent for mid-range is after he shot 36 percent really for the first or, or i'm sorry 38 percent really for the first couple years of his career so the one and there, he's made some other advancements as well which we'll get to but the one thing that bothers me a little bit about that is it's all really just hitting the jump shot at a higher rate and I need to see a little bit larger of a sample to know that that's true that this is what he's going to be going forward it's a challenge and and he you you want to be optimistic with young guys and and he has a nice shooting form so you sit there and go with that but it is just you just want to get more information before we know and a big part of the challenge with evaluating Devin Booker and this was something that came up when we were doing the prospects thing and it was a a case that I brought up and and it has been a part of why I feel like sometimes I've been too hard on him is he is in such a stark 
situation because his surrounding talent is so bad. And a lot of that is even just the idea of can they convert the passes that he gives them? And I don't think of Devin Booker as the greatest shot creator for other people, but with better teammates, he would probably look a lot better in that part of his game. Yeah, I think he's made strides in passing. That's probably the biggest thing you could look at that I'm sure is real as compared to the jump shot, which may be real, might not be. Um, But guys are just not hitting shots off of his pass, right? He's had 57 passes to the roll man. That's usually pretty good. That's a really high play type, right? You get the roll man, it's usually either going to be an open spot of jumper or you're going right to the rim. Well, they're rim runners. Tyson Chandler is not what he used to be. Uh, Only 0.86 points per possession. Worth noting that when he just takes a jumper off the dribble, they score better than when he throws it to the roll man. Uh, It's only in the 13th percentile in uh, points per possession to the roll man. And then when he throws it to a spot up, again, your average spot up is about a little over one point per possession league wide, only 0.89 points per possession when guys take a spot up uh, out of his passes in the pick and roll. And so, I mean, watching the film of those passes, they're good passes, you know, and this also includes even, you know, the when his pass to a spot up guy then leads to another spot up outside a pass or two away. Uh, but he's still throwing some really good passes, some incisive passes that are getting the defense moving. Uh, I thought that against Houston and particularly through some really nice looks to Dragon Bender because Houston was bringing guys way up to the level of the screen and, and uh, forcing him to give it up early. And he did a nice job of that. And Bender really kind of flubbed a lot of those plays. Um, so I, I've been impressed with when you see some of the passes that he's been able to throw this year and his assist rate has improved. He is averaging 4.7 assists this year up from 3.5 a year ago without really a huge increase in his shot attempts. And then you also throw in all the shots that his teammates are missing. That's probably costing him another assist per game or so. Uh, and then I also have been, I guess the other thing that points out is not only do guys not hit shots off of his passes, but they never set him up. Yeah. And, and that's part of the, the challenge with Booker is just figuring out, well, what is he on a better team? And it might just be in certain elements that we have to see it. And so it's kind of like, can he be a number one option on a better team? Or how does he look as a secondary? You know, like, can he be a Neo Bradley Beal or something like that? Can he, you know, is that is that kind of where he can go if he could get a John Wall? And I think that his complimentary game is actually like, when I watch him, I think of him more that way. Like the idea that, oh, he could be a much better second option on a good team. Sure. But it's going to be, well, when is Phoenix going to get that guy? What, who is it going to be? And all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see what he can do with that, but we don't know when that's coming. It could be a while. Yeah. And I mentioned, you know, he shoots this great percentage on catch and shoot threes, the 44% and on spot ups, which obviously by definition, you have to throw it to him. It could be either shooting a catch and shooter or driving to the rim. He only has 65 of those possessions, 8% of his offense are spot ups. And this is a guy who's supposed to be an amazing shooter. They just don't have anyone else who's driving, forcing help. And then actually has the vision to find him coming off screens. He's been effective as well. But again, you know, the defense can really load to him on those plays. So he can't do too much of that. And so then it's just a a lot of pick and roll ball handler, 26% of his offense, ISO 12% of his offense, a lot of stuff where he's just having to create for himself. And, but one area where he's continued to be effective, even going back to when he was a rookie is in the posts, 53 points on 50 post-ups, which is awesome. Uh, And really a very versatile post game in the sense that he posts up about equally on the left and right block. He'll turn either shoulder. Usually likes to just get to the turnaround jump shot not going to do a ton 
of power moves uh the only thing that he really isn't as comfortable with in terms of the number of shots that he's taking is if he's on the right block turning left shoulder and that's that's kind of a hard shot for right-handed players because you're shooting it from the right side of your body the backboard it can kind of get into play there you if you get behind the backboard a, a little bit is a harder shot but certainly something that you would love to see them go to more but again you know they have no one else to space out around him or, or get him the ball and they confront him and bring help very easily so i think he could be a very effective post-up guard especially if you just run some action to get a smaller player onto him so before we move on here this from our friends at, at blue apron my fiance and i don't really have time to go to the store if you do that just to get a recipe i mean you're gonna go pick up like some fresh dill or some cilantro or something and you get this huge bunch and you use like one eighth of it and then you're probably not making another recipe with dill that week and it just goes bad and you spend all this time going to get these ingredients specifically for a recipe well what if all those ingredients just showed up at your door pre-portioned so you don't have any food waste that's what blue apron offers you 12 new recipes each week customers can pick two three or four recipes based on what best fits their schedule what we like to do is just get two meals but we get the four person meals so we actually have leftovers so we basically can get four meals but we only have to cook it twice they have a tea of professional chefs who are putting a lot of care into creating these super easy to follow recipes and the way to get started with them is at blueapron.com slash capspace that will get you $30 off your first order check out this week's menu at blueapron.com slash capspace they're teaming with whole 30 for the next eight weeks or so to bring you some delicious recipes like seared steaks and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted broccoli and sweet potato and chicken and kale orange salad with spicy tahini dressing so one more time just go check out their menu the recipes at blueapron.com slash capspace i think you'll find that your mouth waters and that you'll be signing up blueapron.com slash capspace once again is the url all right so you have the standings in front of you here danny where are we going next the utah jazz who are uh, kind of the borderline between teams that we are confident aren't going to make the playoffs and and teams that have a better shot jazz are 17 and 25 one and four since the last 15 and 60 negative 1.3 net rating puts them 19th 25th in offense 11th in defense defense and one thing before we kind of get into the meat of this that i just think is interesting is they've only played 51 clutch minutes all season they're six and nine they've had a couple of the biggest blowouts of the entire year including the game where they just absolutely demolished the wizards they actually their only win in this 1560 was the rematch of that game when apparently scott brooks wrote 47 on the board and that motivated them to get all the way to a three-point loss this time but the jazz are six and nine in those games and one of the disappointing pieces of news is that a player who had been a revelation of sorts just a kind of a key to some of their smaller lineups Tabo Cephalosha is out for the rest of the season because he has to have surgery on his medial collateral ligament yeah the MCL you don't normally hear about surgery being required there so that probably means a grade three complete tear usually you know Blake Griffin was a grade two Marcus Hole in, in past years Zach Randolph we've seen a lot of guys with grade two MCL tears Jeff Teague Steph Curry of recent vintage had grade one MCL tears so if surgery is required that probably means it's grade three to my recollection and you know it's going to lead to big time problems you don't hear often about a fully torn mcl like that um interesting you noted the negative 1.3 net rating and that is per uh, our friend ben falk at, at cleaning the glass well utah's overall net rating on the season is uh negative 0.8 and the net rating for tabo cephalosha was basically the best on the team of anyone who has played major minutes for them 
them 4.9 when they were playing their best this season it was when joe johnson was out and they were playing him at the four and rudy gobert was available or, or they were going with Derek favors and cephalosha and putting those lineups out there against second unit so that is going to be a loss catch you up a little bit on donovan mitchell his last 10 games still chugging right along 59 percent true shooting 27 percent usage although negative 8.8 net rating as they have struggled through a, a brutal stretch they're finally finishing up a, a road trip now but they may be a little bit too far behind now at 17 and 25 to get back into it they may have to hope for some more injuries from the teams above them they've really suffered from the fact that the clippers have had this resurgence but i think the question that i wanted to ask you danny was to take a little bit more of a macro look at these guys because they have a lot of interesting contracts on this team is i want to rank their top three best assets from a contractual standpoint and maybe we'll go a little bit further if that's uninteresting and then their top three worst so i assume number one has got to be donovan mitchell on in the first year of his rookie deal yes sir i mean about three million a year for the next two years after this and then a five million dollar option which they could basically already pick up right now and i mean phenomenal young talent guy that we both ranked in our top 10 so he'd be number one two this is where it gets tough i still think i'd go with gobert i am a believer in his defensive potential a guy who can be that i mean you worry about players his size just whether even though the injuries that he's had this year to me aren't the type of things that you think about recurring it's just guys that big i don't know man i mean he's had if you think about it now now some of these have been impact injuries right but two years ago he he was another guy who actually had the grade two mcl then he had the, the issue in the playoffs now he's had two separate injuries again lower body injuries this season i mean it's starting to he had a broken foot uh, before his rookie season as well so it's starting to look like i mean for a guy with at his size i mean he's more lithe than a lot of guys that size but still a pretty big dude i think there is some significant concern for him going forward both in terms of his performance that he can be the same as as particularly offensively the same offensive player that he was last year but also you know because it always seems like when he comes back from these injuries he it takes him a while to get his bearings again offensively he'll have trouble finishing around the rim and he kind of seems like off balance when he catches the ball down low but maybe you're not as concerned as i am but no i I am i am concerned to monitor at a minimum i am concerned but then i so i think the three guy the player who i feel like i'm going to pick for most improved player ever well well, hold on one last thing i can go bear just so people remember he's in the first year right now of a four-year 100 million dollar deal that he signed as a rookie extension uh, last october and it and it goes it does go up each year it's not it it doesn't uh descend which in hindsight you know they didn't know then what we know now they would have i'm sure they would have enjoyed but i would probably third it's tough because they they just like i mean they have a bunch of guys on like two-year contracts or those partial guarantees i think i'm gonna go with rodney hood i've i i just i believe he can be a scorer i also think that he is he could be one of the guys that falls through the cracks of restricted free agency this year it's a i think it's reasonably likely just because there's so many two guards and there just are not that many slots so if he you know has a rough year and i mean i think he'll probably do better than taking his qualifying offer but that could be a bit a good number for him still young still talented yeah i guess that's probably got to be it right because i mean who else you know jarebko yudo cephalosha cephalosha now probably looking like he'll be all those guys have july guarantee dates uh for you know relatively small non-guarantees 5.2 for cephalosha 4.2 for jarebko 3.4 for yudo um but you're not going to get anything for those guys necessarily and so uh then it really i mean if you're like all right if you had to trade somebody at the deadline who could you get the most for i think the answer probably is a rodney 
livelihood. A, a question kind of along those lines that I was thinking about but didn't put in the podcast plan was we've discussed the idea that, that Donovan Mitchell, his endgame is probably as a point guard. Rubio certainly provides a value on this team, especially with Exum being out that they just, and, and Neto has been out for a while too. Do Would it be too early? I mean, it, it odd, it's probably offer dependent, but like, would you be shopping him? Would you be listening on him? How would you be approaching this? Not to get onto the, the deadline preview we're going to do, but I've just, I've been really struggling with like how they should approach this. It might just be waited out because there isn't a better option. You're talking about Ricky yeah. Rubio now? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that, uh, I'm sure they would love to be able to get the exact same deal that they gave to Minnesota this offseason. Um, but, you know, obviously they're in a different situation there. They thought they were going to have Gordon Hayward. They didn't know that Mitchell, I'm sure they liked him, but they didn't know that he would be this good this fast, I'm sure. So, and there aren't really that many point guard needy teams now. I mean, when Minnesota was trying to trade Rubio, Utah was really kind of the only one that was available. And now Minnesota had a signing and there just aren't that many teams with a need at point guard this offseason. And so many teams drafted a point guard in 2017. 17 so yeah i'm not sure really what is out there for rubio and now you know are you gonna bring I mean, with the demise of cephalosha now you kind of just need more smalls in general so yeah i mean i think they just kind of hold on to him he's a valuable player even if there is maybe a conflict you know he'll probably continue to start and then mitchell will continue to close games and we'll see whether you know if favors sticks around when gobert comes back you know i think the limitations of that favors gobert and rubio all starting together has been well documented um really quickly three worst uh, uh contractual assets i think you'd probably start with alec burks uh 11 million this year 11.5 million next year yeah i think he's number one just because that's that's a lot of money long term after that i'd be probably joe ingles yeah four years um, although you know it's interesting I, I mean it'd be interesting because ingles at least can help you a ton now you know whereas uh but yeah i think by the end of that deal now thankfully for the jazz it does decline he's 14 million this year they used his full bird rights and then it goes down all the way to 10 million uh but you know he's going to be a 32 33 year old by then and probably won't be worth that but it won't it's not nearly as uh as unpalatable uh if it started at 10 and went up to 14 you'd be talking about a much bigger and then i'd probably say joe johnson is third even though he's an expiring contract just because 10.5 million is a lot for him right now i mean gosh still have dante x on this team too no i would actually say rubio that was the other one i was considering but i but i think like if you know even if you see him as a backup point guard backup point guard for the right team is still value that's still a value so yeah it's between those two guys i mean once you're already once you're already expiring this year it kind of doesn't matter anymore that's a fair point ready to move on yeah who's next the team that i would argue has had the best go of it of these western conference teams since the last 15 and 60 the los angeles clippers the clippers are now 500 21 and 21 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 even net rating puts them 16th 10th in offense 22nd in defense 69 percent playoff odds and it should be noted because we're going to be very positive about this that four of their last five wins were against the kings twice atlanta and memphis and the other one was against the warriors at oracle without steph curry but just to get back into this mix and to get tay dosage back to get blake griffin back they are in this conversation now and we were wondering if they were going to start fading out of it so that is pretty massive for them yeah i mean to get back to 500 with team to get back to 70 percent playoff odds even net rating considering where they were i mean it really was lou williams who kept them afloat you know i mean it, it is very surprising to me that they weren't 10 games below 500 when blake returned uh and lou williams of course i, I want to spend the bulk of this time here discussing just what he did to what's supposed to be a good warriors defense at oracle on thursday when he put up 50 i really enjoyed him shamelessly gunning for 50 even when the game was 
out of reach. He took three three-pointers in the last two minutes in garbage time and finally hit one from like 30 feet. He had taken another 30-footer as well. He said after the game that like everyone was telling me to shoot it. And so I finally I finally did. I knew that was it uh, to get to 50. Um, and I thought it was well-deserved because, I mean, think of all the humiliations that the Warriors have put onto the Clippers that for him to just shamelessly gun for the stats at the end, I got no problem with that whatsoever. And he played so well in the game. He was the reason they won. I mean, I, I that was the game Blake Griffin and Tadosic didn't play. Those guys were came back the next night in Sacramento. And Lou, the, the definitive part of it, he had a good first half. But the third quarter was just, it was masterful. It was one of the best single quarters I've seen a, a, a player have offensively in, I think it's eight years covering the NBA. NBA, yeah, NBA season high, 27 points yep. in a quarter. Eight of 11 from the field, eight of eight from the line. And he did it from all over. He was, his only, t- or two of his three misses were from three. It was three of five though. Two of three, two of two, uh, sorry, two of three from mid-range, one in floater range, one of one, and then made both of his shots in the restricted area. And of course the eight free throws were an important part of that. And the Warriors, because he was really the guy offensively for them, the Warriors really were focusing on him. They were throwing traps at him. They were throwing doubles at him. And he was beating that. He was beating what they were throwing at him. One of the things he said after the game was that initially in the third quarter, uh, and he didn't reference Pachulia by name, but he said basically I was beating the first level of the defense and then pulling up before the second level of the defense. And that was Pachulia who was really getting hurt by him in pick and roll. And then they tried to go with Jordan Bell. He fouled him and got taken out of the game and basically hasn't played since then for the Warriors. Um, but what really has stuck out to me about Lou, number one is we thought that he was going to be one of the guys who was really hurt by the crackdown on the BS shooting fouls you know the field contact and throw it up plays that he I think he might have invented that even more than James Harden to some degree especially having to like James would do it when it's like you know there's a hand out there to go through the hand but Lou would be the guy with where there's a legal body contact he would throw it up so I thought he might be hurt by that but and he's getting to the foul line a little bit less than he did last year but I've just been amazed at the quickness that he has shown I mean we marveled at that during the Twitter NBA show against OKC and then he ran out of gas and Doc Rivers said hey you know we need to give him some more rest uh but you know when he was in the middle of a 27 point quarter doc wasn't uh, about to take him out and he, he made he then got to rest another six minutes as uh the clippers reserves uh, including uh mantras harrell who had played who's played really well this season uh brought a lot of energy with lou out of the game as they were able to extend that lead out to double digits but uh yeah he just is blowing by guys i mean and, and he really you know a lot of times with lou previous in his career it's just like all right you know if they had a good defender on him he wouldn't be doing this you know like oh just stop following him it's all his little tricks you know like but no he actually looked like very undeniable just blowing past guys creating space like they had absolutely no answers for him in a way that i've and that's what separates this recent stretch for him for me from some of what we've seen before where it's just kind of all right go left and like get fouled as you're floating to the left or you know kind of take some weird shot and bullshit your way to the line and and no it's been he's really looked like a primary offensive option rather than just some bench scoring guy to me in this stretch for the Clippers. It is also strange, but that's the nature of the award, that this stretch where he's been so huge for the Clippers and has started a lot of it will, assuming he goes back to the normal role, could win him sixth man of the year. Like, that's just the way this works out because nobody cares about that context of it's like, it's not how good you are when you're on the bench. It's do you qualify and how good are you? But he has been spectacular this year. And the other guy I did want to talk about a little bit is Montrezl Harrell. Harrell was big in that Warriors win. He also had some 
nice moments in, in their back, to, not back to back, but consecutive wins against the Kings. So he's playing 14 minutes a game, you know, almost most of it at center for about, about four out of five minutes are at center. 22.6 PER, 61.5 true shooting, 21.5 usage. And so all that's good. That's the yeah. impressive part. That usage it, it, at that type of true shooting is very surprising. It is. And his rebound rate is at 14.5. That's probably a little lower than you want. I was thinking before that, that he yeah. was playing more power forward than center, but he's playing more center. That's also some of that is definitional because Queen the Glass has him listed as the center when he plays with Willie Reed. Those two guys, you know, the one. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually, yeah, I mean, he definitely, even then, you know, he was playing power forward really because they had so many guys right. out for the first time, I think, really in this most recent stretch here. You know, he'd been mostly alternating with Reed as the center. Reed's actually having a fine box score statistical season as well. Well, um, and then. Yeah. So, so he's been good. And also, yeah. he's a restricted free agent this summer. So one of the. I, I, he wasn't one of the centerpieces of the Chris Paul trade, but I think he's really provided some value to them. Yeah, the only issue for him is protecting the rim, and he's not as good of a switch guy as you might expect. He's kind of like Kenneth Fareed-like in that way, sort of a similar player to Fareed, except not the type of defensive rebounder. He's a good offensive rebounder. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's move on here. We'll try and uh, speed things up uh, slightly. Who is next? Denver Nuggets. One game over 500, 22-21, 3-4 since the last 15-60, and 60, including a couple dispiriting losses but they're still positive net rating plus seven plus point seven sorry not plus seven 12th eighth in offense 18th in defense 75 percent chance of making the playoffs yeah and now we we get into the the number eight seed right now uh, the nuggets although again but the pels blazers nuggets and clippers i kind of saw the nuggets as a tier above them before the season started and they were until this recent rough patch but pels 22 and 20 clippers 21 and 21 that's your six through nine seeds bracketing there uh nuggets and blazers both 22 and 21 and for denver i want to really just switch gears a little bit here and talk about their off season um just generally because it looks like now with the season that wilson chandler is having that he is more likely to opt in to his about 12 million dollars we kind of assumed that as a guy who's a wing uh who had some combo forward skills that he would likely opt out but now maybe not looking that way for him at age 31 as he struggled a little bit this season and so if he opts in now they are looking at 12 million dollars over the cap oh and that's before you got to pay Nikola Jokic the max most likely uh and so now you're looking at 10 million dollars more than 10 million dollars into the tax uh once you pay him in fact you know if you're going to pay him 25 million you're almost 13 million into the tax and you're going to be paying 24 million so they're not going to let Jokic go they have to decline his team option as we've talked about basically and uh keep him as a restricted free agent because you just you cannot let him get to unrestricted free agency and take the risk that he's going to leave uh so something has to give this offseason what's it going to be it's such a shame that just the nature of 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 all this is that they're going to probably have to get worse because the luxury tax is just not something that they can do yeah it's a it's a it's a yeah i mean now now worth noting chandler Darrell arthur and kenneth Fareed, all guys who probably are way overpaid are guys that you could they could consider just stretching and reducing the value that way i think arthur would be a prime candidate for that and they have enough young guys that maybe you could say hey if we could if we combined fareed and arthur you know those are guys who could or fareed at least can play a little bit arthur has had this weird illness thing maybe you could just give up a first round pick and dump fareed and arthur maybe that would be possible although or you get something back someone who can play as well in that deal and, and you know take back 10 million in salary when you send out 20 or something maybe that could be the contract that would be fine and they have enough young guys on this team 
they could even include Wancho theoretically in something like that. That would be another another sure. sweetener. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't played it all this year, and, and Trey Lyles seems to be the power forward of the future. So yeah, I, I think, or at least the backup power forward of the future. Um, I think that the hope is the Nuggets can do that, as you said, without maybe giving up much in terms of contracts. But then the elephant in the room in terms of that, we've talked about all their financial stuff, is Will Barton. I mean, Barton has been a massive part of what has been good for them this year, especially as they're kind of second unit at moments, and then sometimes they're starting lineup after Millsap's been out. They've needed a little bit more juice, and he has provided that, and he's an unrestricted free agent this year. I, I believe there's an outside shot, depending on how their conversations have gone, that he could get extended. I doubt that just with the specific circumstances, but they've needed him this year, and it's hard to believe that anybody's going to supplant him next year. They might have to replace him, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe they think that Malik Beasley could step into that role a little bit. You know, they've got Jamal Murray, they've got Gary Harris. Those guys could play. Harris plays a lot of minutes, but maybe they could get Murray to play a little bit more. Um, but no, they definitely need what Barton has provided as the scorer off the bench this year. And, you know, Barton, I don't think, is interested in the extension that is the max they could pay him, that four for 42. Uh, but I think if they offer that, he should probably take it. I think he's going to have a rude surprise with how few teams have cap space. Um, but then, you know, if he leaves and then you trade Chandler, then who the hell is playing the three for this team? You've got that issue too. Maybe it has to be Wancho, uh, or maybe they just go super big with like Lyles and Millsap together or something. Like, I mean, but it's not going to be ideal and you're going to be struggling to find a, a uh, somebody in free agency there. And so maybe if they can clear off some money, they could try to use their full mid-level exception to get someone who could be more of a stopgap at, at the three. But they are definitely feeling the crunch. And while, you know, at least the good news for them is this is kind of only for one year because you've got the Chandler, Arthur, and Fareed contracts that come off the books in the summer of 2019. And then Millsap would come off the books as well. They have that team option for $30 million, which, you know, they probably will end up declining, I, I would imagine. And so they actually could project to have some modicum of space in the summer of 2019. You know, I'll believe it when I see it to see these guys pay significant tax, even if they have saved a ton of money over the years. I mean, you know, there's in having some discussions with their organization, they pointed this out to me and indicated, oh, it would only be one year of paying the tax. And, you know, I think they, I'm still consider me a skeptic. You know, I mean, that's something that they might just be saying because they don't want teams to feel like, hey, we've really got you over a barrel when they're trying to shed salary. We can move to another team that is dealing with the present issue of some small forward stuff. The Portland Trailblazers. They're 22 and 21, three and four since the last 15 and 60, including that loss today to Minnesota. Slight positive net rating, 0.3, 15th in the league, 20th in offense, 7th in defense, and a 50, 55% chance of making the playoffs. It's and it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting how like we're just kind of I feel like we're getting to the point where this is just kind of like what Portland is for right now. Um, yeah, I mean, you mean the exact same thing that they've been for the last three years? What, well, I mean, the, the offensive, the shots... Go- or even slightly worse, I guess you could Yeah, I mean, say. just like around the eight seed. Well, I you know what? No, I'm sorry. That's not fair. I, I Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I need to interrupt myself because obviously the way they're doing it is different. Year, they deserve a lot. Yeah, they deserve a lot of credit for getting the defense to be as good as it's been. And, you know, the offense has taken a step back for it. So one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and it has been, you know, a challenge as they've chosen largely to go big, despite having some capable ball handlers, though not that many, you know, they have they have guys that are really good, but then they don't have really the ancillary guys. The Portland Trailblazers do not run. They are 29th in transition frequency and 28th in terms of the proportion of their possessions that are in the half court, which is 83.2%. And Dallas is, Dallas is at the bottom at 85%. And then the Warriors take a 
almost 10% more of their shots in transition. And generally speaking, transition is more effective than half court offense. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you know, what's the difference in like points plus per game between like the worst and best team in the NBA in terms of transition? I'm going to get it. Actually, I got it right here. Get ready to be horrified by Dallas's. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. They gain only 0.9 points per game by running, whereas Indiana and Golden State are, are at the top. That's amazing that Indiana is that high. They have crazy efficiency in transition, which has got to come down to some degree, although not if they get to play the Suns every night. Uh, So 4.5 for Indiana and Golden State, some of the best offenses as well. Houston is up there. Denver is up there as well. But uh, so, I mean, when you could consider that, like just out of transition, I'm sorry, that's not per game, that's per 100 possessions. So just out of transition, you can go from a distance in terms of offensive rating that would take you basically from like average to near the top of the league just by running and so obviously uh portland more effective at running uh but still never do it and and when you even consider the combination of their effectiveness and their running you know they're 21st in the nba right now in terms of what they're doing in transition unsurprisingly the blazers are a very frequent team with shooters out of the pick and roll 21.6 percent of their possessions end in that sort of a way and when you have damian lillard that makes sense lillard has the strongest points per possession of any of the high usage guys in this circumstance at a little bit over one per and I mean he's such a wonderful shooter off the dribble that it's not a surprise so you can kind of take that both ways I mean they're better at that shot I think than than most teams are but they're actually second but generally speaking there are better shots and worse shots that you can get and so I, I kind of feel like that's a part of it is that they're relying a little bit on something that they're good at but there are other ways to generate offense uh, before we finish up with them uh, talk a little bit about uh, Alfarik Aminu and how he's played basically most of his value this year tied up in his three-point shooting he had a nice three-point shooting year in his first year of, as a blazer in 2014-15 regressed quite a bit last year but at 39 percent on threes and, and it's been more aggressive taking them shooting them with a little bit more versatility lately he's played 94 percent of his minutes at, at power forward my preferred starting lineup for them with Harkless and Aminu together probably not quite my preferred starting lineup I mean I just I, I can't bring myself to say it should be Evan Turner though but uh Turner is probably actually shooting the ball better than Harkless is at, at this point although I think Harkless is as good or better than Turner defensively anyway but that that used to be like an awesome lineup even though that that starting lineup still is uh at plus 2.1 with Aminu and Harkless together and and the rest of their normal starters one of the things for Aminu though is that he's strictly operating as a spot-up guy his driving ability is really one of the worst guys who's like you know kind of nominally has some wing skills in terms of driving off a spot-up like he might lead the NBA I mean I have no way of checking this but he might lead the NBA in travels off of a shot fake where he lifts his pivot foot before putting the ball down to dribble or he'll get into traffic and turn it over he's really inefficient he'll also take some long twos off the dribble four of 19 on long twos this season a lot of those are are off of closeouts uh but still playing some solid defense of course and gives them some versatility at the four and really he's their only as close as it gets to a guy who's switchable kind of a stretch for basically all of their other lineups involve two traditional bigs playing together it seems like this year anything else on them or do you want to move on let's do it the team that's at the top of this cluster the new orleans pelicans 22 and 24 and 2 since the last 15 60 including their overtime win against the knicks today plus 1.5 net rating is ninth seventh in offense 21st in defense 75 percent chance of making the playoffs and i mean i think the place that we kind of have to start with this is anthony davis dropping 48 on the knicks today 
way in that overtime win and scoring in a variety of ways. And in a game that it sounded like to me from what Gentry said after the game that he didn't think Davis was right. He was just, you know, he's healthy enough to play and kick ass. That's surprising to hear because, and I guess he was only seven of 12 at the rim, although obviously Porzingis who was guarding, he was a tough guy to score over at the rim. Noteworthy too. I mean, he had a 48 point game and zero assists. He definitely is. Uh, the matchup between he and Porzingis was uh, definitely not, uh, you know, two of the better scoring worst passing players in NBA history uh, in terms of the, their usage to assist ratio. But nonetheless, it was an awesome game by AD. Shot seven out of 10 on mid-rangers and got up six three-point attempts as well. And I thought what was most impressive was just he really, because you remember the whole story with him, right? Was like, oh, he was a guard at Perspectives Charter High School in Chicago, which is not a basketball power. I think they were like seven and 15 his senior year, like even with him. <laughs> uh, but he was a guard and then he, he grew. And so he's supposed to have all these guard skills. So we didn't really see as much of that early, just in terms of doing stuff off the dribble. He's much more of a pick and pop player. You know, one of the best pick and roll players of all time, really, at this point, can get to the rim as well. Nice touch around the basket. But now he's actually started to do more off the dribble, more at the face-up game. We've seen step backs. He was able to get the advantage on Porzingis. Then they put Kyle Quinn on him for a while. They tried Lance Thomas for a little bit. Uh, you know, he had plays where he was bringing the ball up and then crossing over. He had a step back to his right. Really doing some really nice stuff uh, off the dribble. Um, had a, an awesome buzzer-beating three in the waning minutes. He, uh, in overtime, he hit this ridiculous right shoulder fadeaway on the baseline over Chris Stapps Porzingis. Um, they tied up the game late in regulation with a 5-4 pick and roll. Uh, and AD had an amazing finish over Porzingis on that play. DeMarcus threw a, a beautiful lob to Porzingis. So, you know, I, I think the combination of DeMarcus and AD has worked very well. Like, that hasn't been the problem in New Orleans this year. And those guys have certainly pushed them quite a bit. Um, do, anything you want to say about that game at all? Not particularly. I, but I think that something we've been seeing overall, which was a factor in that game, is just the idea that their reliance on the Rondo inclusion in the starting lineup is, is a little bit misguided and they should be trying other guys. And we have somebody that we're advocating for to be in that spot. Yeah, certainly no panacea uh, because New Orleans is just contractually prohibited They uh, and Oklahoma City until they uh, got Paul George, but just from having an adequate uh, 3 and D three men. But Darius Miller just shooting an absolutely scorching percentage from downtown. From the corners, he is 24 out of 36 on the season, well over 50% from the corners. Shoots, I think, no, is that right? No, I'm sorry, 22 out of 36 on the season, but still pretty darn good. Um, and then on, on mid-rangers, scorching as well, uh, two-point jump shots, 19 out of 36, 53% there. And then above the break threes has been very solid also at 40%. Um, but one of the things that sticks out, uh, you mentioned I didn't uh, discuss, or you may have noticed I didn't mention his uh, shooting at the rim. Well, he doesn't take very many shots there, does he? Yeah, I, I would say five for the season is not very many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really incredible because you'd think a guy with his type of shooting gravity could at least like, you know, when they're trying to topside him coming off a screen, you know, uh, get back door. But he really is very limited athletically. Um, you know, he doesn't have a ton of quickness coming off of screens. Now, he's been successful kind of more in short areas where he can take two or three steps and come off a screen and, and shoot. But he doesn't get much rise on his jump shot. And then he doesn't really have the athleticism to get going really fast and then stop on a dime and pull up the way some of the 
best three-point shooters can you know when you see them run they'll run a floppy set for him every once in a while and he'll sprint from one side of the court to the other and he seems to be a little bit out of control it's hard for him to stop and rise up whereas you know if he's just like standing at the elbow and then he gets a screen to pop out to the three-point line he's much more comfortable with that more comfortable on a dho where he's not moving quite as fast and he can at least on a dho if the guy is trailing him use the screen well take a dribble in and shoot that incredibly accurate mid-ranger um and then defensively limited athletically as we mentioned rpm is not good negative 1.91 which is uh pretty miserable um but i still uh that's uh higher his position i think than uh rondo and obviously his miller's offense is more impactful than rondo's because of the spacing he provides so i still would be starting him you know just to get a normal sized guy out there he's certainly miscast as a stopper but just the spacing that he provides makes it really difficult to deal with this team I mean, if you look at holiday or who shoots it well from three-point range and miller uh and holiday was awesome against the knicks who had 31 points and some big clutch possessions um you're talking about a very difficult to stop offensive team whereas rondo you know gives you a little bit of a hiding place there i think we can move on to the team that is the next kind oh sure oh one more thing they're they're signing uh right. mike james to a two-way uh in new orleans which uh i don't really see a ton of the fit there to be honest um i think they have plenty of guys who can create a shot and many who can do so much more efficiently than him and at 27 i don't know if you're really talking about kind of developing him necessarily so I, I, that one doesn't make a ton of sense to me but you know the, he's a guy who's not terrible and can be on a two-way so maybe they, they feel like they can get something out of him and it's not like they have a g league team either so the, this is a, a mark of separation maybe but not really in terms of record because the oklahoma city thunder are only 23 and 20 they are three and three since the last 15 and 60 plus 2.9 net rating is eighth so they're still strong there 12th in offense fourth in defense and one place to start is that they played seven games without andre robertson and their overall defensive rating for the year is 105 they are 109-2 over those seven games they have really missed him on that end and their offense has been better unsurprisingly but overall i would say they've been a more beatable team and this has led to a lot of discussion that oh man robertson like now you you don't even know how valuable he is until he's gone and oh they can't defend anyone and see see like we were wrong to say that he you know was a liability in the playoffs and he's a really important player for them and you know what it's true that he's a really important player for them but it's more because they don't have anyone behind him who's an adequate option than that he himself is so awesome i I think he's an excellent defensive player obviously but just you know he takes nearly as much away on offense so that's really more the issue i mean they've had terrence ferguson out there uh he is a negative 2.2 net rating over his last seven games and you know that's pretty bad because he's been starting and they have a pretty good starting lineup for ferguson very much the markers of a support player 54 percent of his possessions come from spotting up uh takes some threes in transition uh doesn't really hit that many I mean, he's only got 14 shots at the rim all season and he's 5 of 24 on above the break threes and really and only 8 out of 24 in the corners you know he did have that big game against the lakers but i think when he had six threes uh but that means that he's only made seven i think he was six out of nine in that game and he's 13 out of 48 on the year so in all other games uh he's been really awful at least he's seven out of nine on long twos so i think his jumper will come around eventually but you know he's a still basically a teenage if not you know or a 20 year old rookie and i like his defense he gives effort he's got those short quick choppy feet he tries to get into guys but the strength and the communication and execution are still a big issue he's not ready to be a rotation player on a quality team yet but they are very limited in terms of other options at point and sure it's disappointing i guess a little bit that that he can't 
be better, but that's what young rookies are. You know, young rookies take time to learn the league. They need to get a lot stronger. So I, I think that he can be a part of what they're doing eventually, but just not right now. And I agree. Yeah, I think yeah, he's going like to eventually. But one of the other big differences for why the Thunder have, you know, only three games over 500 is that they went from having a plus 20 net rating in clutch situations and a being 10 games over 500 to being two games under 500. Th- this is yeah, last year, to you being mean? two games under 500 with a negative 11 net rating this year. And we argued, and I think that was a, a, a good argument, that Russell Westbrook's massive performance in clutch circumstances was a, a meaningful part of his value, that it was value added. However, that was never value added that was necessarily that predictive of future success or future role. And so he went from last year a 62.3% usage in close situations, which is just insane, and 56.9 true shooting, which is great for that kind of usage, to 45.7, so that's a drop of almost 20%, and a true shooting drop from 56.9 to 42.5. So that, I would say, you know, it's too far. You know, the pendulum has gone too far the other way, but they needed him to be a superhuman last year. He was a superhuman last year. This year, he's been, he's gotten better over the course of the season overall, but that hasn't been able to propel them in the same way. And that was something that I always, I always thought was going to be a weakness and they just haven't integrated the talent well enough to make that not matter as much because they've been in more clutch games. Yeah. And if we were going to make his positive clutch impact last year on such a, a high usage, a big part of the argument for why he could be MVP. And, you know, obviously this is, was splitting hairs last year, you know, to even get to that granular of a level, you know, it was a very close race and that's why we did a whole podcast on it. But if you want to say, well, why wasn't he on any of my all NBA teams? Well, you know, 42% true shooting, but taking 46% of the shots in the clutch. Now you're really damaging your team in the clutch. And that's something that has to be a part of the analysis as well. One other little data point that I wanted to mention is it's always hard with Oklahoma City because of how they stagger their guys to really do a proxy for the starters with and without Robertson. But the one that I did is just using Westbrook. So with Robertson on the floor, they are 11, almost 12 points per 100 better defensively and about five points worse defensively. And to me, that's a little bit extreme. And the the minute proportion is actually getting pretty close to even as he's missed all these games. But it's not heinously off when you consider just that you're getting this kind of idle spacing with somebody like Ferguson and you're losing somebody who just provides so much defensive value because it allows all of the other guys more flexibility and, you know, it's less weight on Westbrook and on Mello, even though the surrounding players are largely the same. Well, and also consider too that if you're using Westbrook as a proxy for the start, as it, and I know you know this, but it, it's inexact to where, you know, at the end of the first quarter, the units that they play will basically be Westbrook and, you know, four guys who yep. can't do anything. <laughs> so, you know, it'll be Grant and Hustis and Patrick Patterson. And, you know, maybe if Westbrook is lucky, Donovan will throw a Brinus out there too as a guy who can at least make a shot with that group. So I think that's a, a part of it as well. Um, really quickly here, what do you think, what type of pace are they going to win at for the rest of the year? If they're 23 and 20 right now, uh, what like the pace of a blank win team, are, are they going to win at for the rest of High the year? High 40s, 47, something in that range. Seem, seems right to me too. Uh, okay, so now let's see, we did Minnesota, so that takes us to San Antonio. Yeah, it takes us to right? San Antonio, and Minnesota is close behind them. If we were doing this in order, we'd be talking about how Minnesota, I think they're one game behind the Spurs right now, and they're they're really nipping at their heels. San Antonio, 29 and 15, 4 and 3. Yeah. And by the way, Minnesota, uh, better fundamentals than the San Antonio Spurs mm-hmm. as well, though obviously with the time Kawhi Leonard has missed, uh, not perhaps indicative of how they'll play. And Danny Green and a lot of the other, 
right. I mean, they've been missing. They're missing guys. Sure. But so uh, sure. their plus three three net rating is six is sixth in the league, fourteenth in offense, second in defense, which is still so amazing to me when you consider who's been out. And uh, yeah, with no Kawhi, that's that's and uh, yeah, and Danny Green missing time too, and, and it's and playing as big as they do, but they've been able to use that in the positive way. And that's actually kind of a part of where I wanted to go with this is that. Wait, so hold on before before you get into that, it, um, just in a macro sense, who was their over under? Was it like fifty five this year? Like because I, I think our best bet was the I over. I think it was right? I think it was fifty two actually. Here, I mean, no, I don't think it was that. Let me look it up. Hold on one second. Fifty four and a half, and you and I both had their over as a best bet. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't they basically on pace to go over even with Kawhi basically not having played the entire season? They're like pretty close to it, right? I mean, they've had as bad of injury luck as possibly could have been expected, and I think they're still like pretty close to going over. And you would imagine if Kawhi is healthy the rest of the year that they will anyway. So that that's why we thought i mean it, it could we could end up losing this because somebody gets injured or whatever but i mean yeah betting against the spurs in the regular season seems like yeah a, they're, a they're, they're playing at a 54 too. win pace right yeah. now and a big part of that yeah. also is that they've been just killers in clutch situations they're 13 and 5 in games that are within five points with five minutes to go plus 33 9 cl- clutch net rating which is just appalling and when you consider who's missing that's even more impressive because you think about like the low the low side for their offense you know hasn't really been yeah. there and they do out execute everybody and they get into all these circumstances and one of the things that's just been fascinating with them is is the story about that greg popovich revealed i think he just got asked about it and him talking about lamarcus aldridge asking for a trade or maybe not asking for a trade but expecting a trade and his response to it yeah popovich uh, and this had come out a little bit earlier in, in a local story but pop had never been on the record about it he acknowledged pop said that lamarcus said quote i want to be traded and pop's response was that no one has ever said that to me before uh and that lamarcus said as pop paraphrased i'm not enjoying this i'm not confident i'm not sure you want me here i, I want to be traded and that apparently occurred after the season and so pop said hey you know what like we're not going to get for you talent wise what we would want if we trade you so let's figure it out uh and pop said quote as discussions went on it became apparent to me that it really was me he's been playing the league for nine years i'm not going to turn him into some other player i could do some things defensively or rebounding wise but on offense i was going to move him everywhere that was just silly on my part total overcoaching. so we took care of it and he's been fantastic so numbers wise what is pop taking care of it meant i mean i think it's a lot of a lot of lamarcus aldridge posting up and the spurs do the most post-ups in the league <laughs> they are at 12.1 percent of their possessions that way and lamarcus aldridge alone 8.8 post-ups per game which is second in the nba behind joella beads almost 11 which is amazing and nobody else but other than those two guys is over seven a game dwight's at six nine which is just a massive mistake yeah 0.77 points per possession by the way for dwight lamarcus is at 0.94 which is uh obviously outstanding when you consider that uh, most post-ups uh, take place in the half court probably all of lamarcus's post-ups i would imagine and so not only is he taking more posting up more than he has in prior years he's also or he's been more effective this year than last year which i think is interesting and i think it's more just incorporating it and making it a part of what they do as opposed to just kind of being what Lamarcus wanted to do I think do you agree with me that that's kind of been an element of this yeah I think so and then also you know obviously the fact that Kawhi has been out and even I think also that Tony Parker was out for a large part of the season where you know they would try to run a lot more pick and roll with Parker when he was in the game a lot more DHO stuff instead of just hey dump it down and Mills has played more Bryn Forbes has played more so they've gotten more shooting around Lamarcus than I think they had at times 
times last year. Uh, Pau Gasol and Lamarcus have gotten a nice high-low chemistry as well. I mean, part of Lamarcus posting up has been Gasol not posting up and playing more out of the high post when those guys have been together. And then Lamarcus has also played more center, and they've had some some more minutes with, uh, you know, he's not playing any minutes with like a Dwayne Dedman type this year. You know, it, it's usually if he's playing the five, the four will be someone who's going to space out or at least you know be more mobile. Uh, in the case of Kyle Anderson, uh, you know, instead of just kind of he can at least stand outside of you know five feet away from the basket. Uh, so yeah, I think that's helped him a little bit. But and then just numerically, he already has 368 post ups this year compared to 415 all last year. 41 percent of his offense coming via post up this year compared to 33 percent last year, and basically everything else uh, is down quite a bit with his off ball stuff. Last year, spotted up 16 percent of the time. That's down to 9.2 percent of the time, or 9.4 percent of the time this year. Uh, and then pretty much any dependence scoring category is where those post ups are, are being taken out of. And so we'll see. I mean, he's obviously been more effective in post ups this year. We'll see whether, in fact, this keeps up with Kawhi Leonard back because, as well as he himself has been scoring, he doesn't really get to the basket, force a ton of help, and then you know get his teammates working. I mean, they're only 14th in offense this year, and so. I still think having it in Kawhi's hands it makes more sense, but we'll see what uh, Aldridge has obviously been awesome this year. He was my first team All-NBA center. We'll just see how he meshes now that Kawhi is trying to, in his words, string some games together. Uh, should we move on to Houston? Let's do it. The Rockets are 30-11, and 4-2 since the last 15-60, second in net rating, plus 8.9, first in offense, 12th in defense, and they're going to be getting some much-needed reinforcements. Ah, much-needed strong, but getting Luke back I think is really going to help their defense just because they've they've been needing a little bit more forward depth and he he can do that Tarek Black also because their center rotation they've been dealing with different guys with with maladies and then also James Harden could return as soon as Thursday we'll see we'll see when he actually gets back hamstrings you want to be exceedingly judicious we've talked about this so many times so I would be hamstrings and calves so so going through all that and what struck me as just an interesting point of thinking about the the Rockets this year and this can be phrased in a negative way but I don't want to do that they because it's also different on both sides of the ball so they are isolating more than any other team in the league 12.8 percent of their possessions is is there and they're also the best isolation team in the league partially because James Harden has been an absolute demon 1.15 points per possession and to give you an idea of how much better that is than anybody else the last two seasons no one's been over a point per possession and they're at 1.15 which is that's a huge huge difference I mean you think about a point a 0.15 difference in anything in terms of effectiveness is big and when you're the most isolation heavy team in the league you do that and then quickly on the other side of the ball they're also the team that is most isolated against the most and on that end they're benefiting because generally those are less effective shots and so they they switch a lot and they force teams into those circumstances like a lot of these good switch heavy defenses do and they so they reap the benefits on one side and then reap the benefits of their superlative talent on the other yeah and so part of why i think it's so high is because there's two guys who do basically all of the isolating and that's Harden and Chris Paul starting with Harden uh, isolations isolating for 31 percent of his possessions a lot of pick and roll switches is usually what causes that uh 42 percent of his isos come from pick and roll switches it actually seems like a, a lower number than you would think but you know a lot of times they'll just throw it to him at the end of the clock and there isn't time to run a pick and roll and get the switch uh and I think one thing that's underrated you know we talk about just their amazing shooting and part of that is just unsustainable off the dribble three-point shooting from Harden I mean there's basically he's having one of maybe the two or three
three best ever three-point shooting seasons off the dribble and the other one belonged to Steph Curry uh and Harden has Harden has not shown this ability as a three-point shooter before um so I'm a little bit more skeptical of it than I am with Curry who you know had shown this ability for multiple seasons but an underrated aspect of why these isolations work so well is the personnel that's around them I mean they space everyone out to the three-point line they've got guys like Gordon and Anderson who even though neither of those guys is shooting an amazing percentage you know Ryan Anderson you're never going to leave him open and those guys are spaced out you know between you know 26 and 28 feet from the basket so it's just so hard to get help over to Harden uh, they take a ton of threes so even the guys who are not great three-point shooters they take enough of them that you just kind of you feel like all right we can't leave these guys open everybody has the green light and then they always have you know a real good finisher waiting around in the dunker spot as well so like Capella that they can set up and so it's just so hard to bring help the other thing that really makes Harden so good is his ability to drive out of isolations right like that's the theory is oh yeah like if you're isolating you're settling for some step back you're against the big or you know he lays off you and you take a contested jumper and it's not going to be a good shot well Harden actually drives 57 percent of the time when he isolates uh, and then he shoots this amazing percentage on his jump shots out of isolation but that's because it's the threat of the drive and he really is effective going to either hand driving as well from the top he'll go to either hand equally a little bit better with the jump shot when he goes to his right as you know going towards your offhand is just easier mechanically to shoot a jump shot for nearly all players although he certainly can make the step back going to his left as a shot that he really worked on so that's just what makes him so difficult and when you consider his strength i mean i think he likes being matched up against you know we mentioned that the isos are only uh only 42 percent of them come off of switches he doesn't mind being matched up against someone in his size because all he has to do is just get a little bit of a shoulder past someone and he can fake the step back and do that he's so strong guys are also so scared of following him and he'll accentuate any contact that does occur and you can't reach in on him either that he's really able to get to the basket you know all as well if not better against guys his size than he can against a bigger guy and it really is one of the most fantastic seasons that we've seen we should appreciate it now even while acknowledging that you know it's not going to continue to quite this and one other thing i want to mention you you got at this a little bit but it's so hard to recover on harden because of how good he is at knowing where other people are because if you're trying to get back on him he can he can draw the foul that way too so if he gets that separation yeah he'll keep guys he'll just yeah yeah he'll just kill you once he gets that initial advantage and uh, we should mention just a little bit about chris paul something that i i've really appreciated is that he he has been effective especially when he's been attacking off a switch as well but not surprising because he's such a good handle and he can knows how to knows how to get spacing but the rockets so he's passed out of uh, 23 times they passed he's passed it to a shooter on a spot up situation out of an isolation on those 23 passes they have 40 points that is absolutely incredible yeah and that's some of those are when they he makes the initial pass and they ping it around but yeah i mean and you know that's only 23 shots so they're getting lucky hitting some threes but they're definitely getting open ones and certainly in that game against the lakers uh, paul was awesome down the end he's had uh 25 percent of his possessions now in isolation uh and 59 percent of his isos come off of the pick and roll switch uh so that's a, a little bit more he's not really looking to do that immediately you know it's more a product of them switching and and being in a late clock situation so but he's up eight percent of his possessions more are isos this year than last year uh he was still a great points possession last year 1.09 uh but now uh he's up to an even higher number and then off the switch in particular 1.2 points per possession which is uh you know again just completely insane i still question whether houston is going to be able to play like this game after game after game 
game against San Antonio, against Golden State with the multiple great defenders that they have and being able to be more locked in on what Houston is trying to do and not having a ton of variation in their offense. But uh, certainly right now, it has been absolutely unstoppable. So let's do uh, Golden State, 35-9, and 6-1, and one, although certainly a desultory loss, that one loss at, at home to the Clippers without Blake Griffin and uh, a, a host of others. Steph Curry didn't play in that one. And neither did Clay. 10.1 net rating. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that, that is worth noting as well. Uh, and that certainly exposed, again, the lack of shooting outside of KD, Clay, and Steph that we've been harping on it all year as a potential vulnerability for this team. But still 10.1 net rating. They have the second-ranked offense at 114.9, which is pretty good considering how much time Curry has missed. Uh, he returned it uh, against Toronto in a wild game that we'll talk about in a second. And then uh, the third-ranked defense after uh, a few defensive meltdowns lately. Yeah, I mean, the Toronto game was wild. Offensively, they were just unloading in the first half. I think they ended, it was, was it 81? They, it was some, something in that range. Uh, yeah, 81 points, a very popular number against the Toronto Raptors in a crazy <laughs> offense. And it was also play. not the only time they've, they dropped 84 on the Raptors back in 2011. I, I had remembered, I'd remembered that it was kind of in the back of my mind, and then I looked it up at halftime of that game, and then they blew the lead. I mean, Toronto, there was a parade to the free throw line, most of it earned by Toronto just being super aggressive and the Warriors committing a bunch of fouls. Zaza Pachulia committed four fouls in four minutes, which led to them being in the bonus the entire time. And then at the end, I thought something that was interesting was that Curry seemed a little bit tentative on his shot. He was the first game back from a from a sprained ankle. Also, I thought they were defending him pretty well. So, well, and Curry also said something about that ankle. He said, it's sore, but I can play on it, and hopefully it'll continue to get better, which was, that was a little weird to me. I didn't like, if it's still sore, like, why is he coming back? They have, like, a massive lead right now for the number one seed. Right, and so they did a couple of interesting things at the end of that game. One was they finally went back to what Marcus Thompson wrote a piece calling it the Novocaine of of the Curry Durant pick and rolls. And generally speaking, it worked well. There were a couple plays where it was awkward and were just, it seemed like they just don't have enough reps. It was more that issue to me than anything structurally wrong with it because it just creates so much panic in the defense. And that ended up yielding one of, I think the best, one of the best things it yielded was the Kevin Durant shot that ended up winning the Warriors the game, which was a mid-ranger when Pascal Siakam was not exactly sure what to do. He, Durant got enough space and just hit the game winner. Yeah. And a few things in that pick and roll, Andre Guadala had a strained hip flexor missed the second half that I thought they really missed him in their closing lineup they had to go with Kavon Looney and then David West and neither of those guys looked quite ready for the athleticism and intensity that that great uh, Raptors bench unit was bringing uh, and a lot of those guys ended up closing the game they went without Valanciunas and Ibaka at the end but even without that shooting I mean if you can just get Kevin Durant just on an ISO at the free throw line against a smaller player or just a, on a pick and pop from 18 feet I mean that's still a pretty money shot at the end of the game it's really really difficult to bring adequate help to that even if you do have some other non-shooters on the floor to to go help to a space 19 feet away from the basket in the middle of the floor is difficult I I will push back a little bit uh because they do have a play that they run quite a bit where KD and someone else will set a screen for Curry uh and then KD will kind of pop down it usually is a play to get KD an ISO and hopefully a, a switch so it's not the pure Curry Durant pick and roll but 
they do at least involve someone else i think Kerr just feels kind of better about that and then uh so they they will run that one you know probably three or four times a game oftentimes out of timeouts um so it's something that we do see through the course of the game but uh you know not certainly hey we're gonna run this over and over again with these two guys like it only the way it was down the end and Kerr I thought had some good quotes about why they don't do that more which is basically hey you can't do that all game every game you got to involve everyone else in the action and obviously the win they they put up those 81 points without Curry or even KD doing all that much because they had like 22 assists and one turnover in that first half and they're just getting all kinds of great back cuts and all their usual beautiful game type of stuff yeah I mean so they're they're well positioned moving forward a couple I mean they have that big game on Saturday I mean of course the the Martin Luther King Day game against Cleveland but then also on Saturday they play Houston we don't know if Harden's going to be there and while it doesn't look like it's going to be coming down to that that game will decide the tiebreaker between these two teams which you know it could matter for home court all right that'll do it for today don't forget about our sponsors hymns for hymns.com slash cap space for uh men's health uh, for an actual doctor uh, and then blue apron blue apron.com slash cap space gets you 30 dollars off uh, your first meal uh, package and don't forget about the tour nba show tomorrow eight o'clock eastern five pacific and also a special guest uh, on this very podcast tomorrow as well talk to y'all then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply